This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, and I'm Allison Nathan, a senior strategist in Goldman Sachs Research. Natural gas prices are hitting record highs across Europe, with supply shocks gathering steam globally. For this week's episode, I'm speaking with my colleague, Damien Quervelin, who leads energy research on our commodities team to discuss the outlook for natural gas and other commodities and the potential impact on inflation and economic growth. Damien, welcome to the program. Thank you, Allison, for having me. So again, we are seeing these soaring prices for natural gas. They're now at record high levels in Europe. Give us some context. How did we get here? We got here both because of demand and supply. When you think about the COVID recovery, it's been uneven. And when you think about oil demand, we've seen clear underperformance with people not flying. But that's actually the opposite in terms of power demand. We are at record power demand levels. China alone, for example, is consuming 13% more power year to date than last year. And that's because when you think about this economic recovery, less services, more industry, more people working from home, that's all more demand for electricity. Now, of course, supply has contributed as well. You know, we've seen disruptions in coal production in countries like Colombia, a decline in coal capacity in China years in the making, and also disruptions on the gas side coming from countries like Australia or Russia. So it's really the confluence of those demand forces and supply forces which have left the global gas landscape facing record low inventories ahead of its peak seasonal demand in the winter. Let's dig into those supply and demand drivers just to drop more. Why aren't we now seeing a greater supply response given how high prices are right now? That's an important question. And the key here really that when you think about coal or gas supply, these are very long cycle investments. You know, it takes five years to build an LNG terminal. And so despite this price signal today, what we're actually trying to solve for is substitution on the demand side rather than a supply response. Now, there will be some, you know, China today, for example, just announced that it wanted to see a higher coal output from domestic miners. Some of the disruptions that we've seen, you know, are normalizing. Norway is sending a bit more gas. The issue, however, remains the mismatch that we have today between inventories ahead of peak demand heading into the winter. And what about Russia? Is there any ability to increase supplies, which is a major natural gas supplier to Europe? Do they have potential to ramp up capacity here? You're right to point out Russia. You know, Russia provided through the summer expected volumes of gas into Europe, but those volumes have declined recently. And, you know, Russia has also signaled that through October, exports to Europe will be below normal level. You know, initially there were actual disruptions. It is less clear now what is driving this underperformance. Russia has been vocal about wanting to see Nord Stream 2, the new pipeline approved by regulators, wanting consumers to commit to multi-year contracts. And so this may be contributing to those lower flows. That's important because as the largest supplier to Europe, continued low Russian flows would actually create another significant leg higher in prices as it would make the outlook for shortages much more realistic by the end of winter. Now, again, you know, Russia does have that capacity to produce more. It has built this incremental pipeline. So there could be a resolution, eventually much higher Russian flows. It probably does take, however, a few deals to come through and leaves the gas outlook into Europe highly volatile and certain in the next several months. And then you mentioned the potential to see 
substitution away from natural gas and into oil in response to these supply constraints. And that could relieve some pressure. So to what extent is that capacity there? How much do you think that could improve the situation? So energy markets, it's first important to emphasize, are all substitute, right? You can create power from gas, power from coal, power from oil. You know, typically coal is the cheapest solution, then you move to gas. Historically, we use oil, but this is not a very expensive solution. But when you think about the shortage that we have today in both coal and gas, we actually do need to burn some oil. And if you think about where gas prices are today, they've reached a level where that should happen. And so we see that playing out. We see evidence of it in particular in Asia. And that can help. You know, it can help relieve about two BCFs per day, which would be slightly less than a standard deviation called winter in Europe and Asia. But it's not a smooth process, right? Burning oil for power is typically what we call a peaking solution. It's a few days, typically at the end of winter. We've never seen an outcome where already in September and October, we're having to turn to that solution. So what that emphasizes is, yes, we're reaching for the last possible substitution, but its potential to solve the issue is just not that large, meaning the real risk going forward would be blackouts and outright shortages. And obviously, weather is going to have a lot to do with that. So give us a sense of the scenarios here. If you have a colder than expected winter situation, then what would that mean for this outlook and for the potential for power outages? Yeah. So first of all, let's you know just maybe reiterate, we're not in winter yet, right? So the fact that prices are so high today is just to reflect the potential weather risks through the upcoming winter. If winter is average, we get by, right? We have enough gas in inventory today, you know, absent Russia really reducing flows on a sustained basis. But because weather is volatile, you know, the market has to reflect today that risk. If we do have that one standard deviation, colder winter, then we're calling, as I mentioned, upon the oil market. But we're probably at that point really testing the lack of gas. That just means running out of gas for power by the end of winter, you know, February and March. So that's a real risk that we cannot rule out yet. You know, weather forecasts only go out two weeks and, you know, full winter weather risk is still ahead of us. So how much upside would there be for natural gas prices in that scenario? And how much upside would there be for oil prices? So we have no precedence for this situation. We are at record high gas prices. I mentioned, you know, the rational last substitution is that to oil, and we've cleared that threshold. And so the last leg higher is the one that actually destroys demand, right? That's classically the case in commodities when you don't have the supply, you can't have the demand. That can take two shapes. The first one is on industrial activity, right? Gas prices in Europe would be sufficiently high that European industries are left uncompetitive on a global landscape. We briefly saw that with the fertilizer sector in the UK announcing reduced rates recently. Other sectors that couldn't be impacted would be steel, for example, paper, high gas consuming sectors. So that's probably the first risk that you see in terms of the next demand adjustment. And of course, the last one is what we're seeing in China this week, which are blackouts, right? Turning off power because there is no fuel. Now, that's not the case today, right? We're heading into winter. We're at the seasonal peak in inventories. They're just very low. But as we go through winter, that's the one to keep an eye out for. And then we're also hearing headlines about gasoline shortages. So distinct from natural gas, gasoline shortages in the UK. Is that related to what we're seeing going on with natural gas or is that something entirely different? 
That one's entirely different, right? You know, oil has been in deficit, but we are not at historically low inventory levels. We could be, but not yet. What this reflects instead is a phenomenon we've seen elsewhere, which is logistical constraints, especially around truck driver, right? So the UK issue is moving fuel from the distribution terminals to the retail pumps. And that reflects, you know, a global tightness in truck drivers. And probably in the case of the UK was exacerbated by Brexit with fewer available truck drivers. But again, it is not related to gas. And that truck shortage is what ultimately is creating the global logistical stress that our economies are going through. So it's kind of bad luck that we're having this shortage in gasoline at the same time that we're having the shortage in natural gas. Absolutely. It's not related. Maybe there's a confusion on gas prices being natural gas or gasoline. But in the end, that oil-gasoline shortage should normalize in coming weeks, given the UK government responses. Okay, at least that's some good news. But related to the natural gas tightness that we are seeing, we are seeing other tightness across the commodity complex in aluminum and copper. So correct me if I'm wrong, but that is related to the natural gas tightness. And you know, where do we see that heading? Yeah, so I think what is noteworthy here is, you know, the gas shortage is, first of all, symptomatic of broader trends in commodities of strong demand and supply underinvestment. And then second, lack of gas can indeed have impacts on other commodity markets. So let's start with the structural component. COVID was a hit on economic activity and hence commodity consumption. The recovery Outside of oil, has actually been spectacular, right? Metals demand is already above pre-COVID level. So is electricity demand. You've had strong consumer spending on the back of government support. And now you're also seeing a focus on infrastructure spending. So that demand side has been strong. And in our view, is here to stay, right? Policies on fighting climate change all require a lot of infrastructure. And policies on reducing income inequality all also tend to support higher consumption. Now, the supply side predates COVID, right? If you looked at the oil market, for example, what you saw between 2015 and 2019 was just perpetual capital destruction by producers, focused on growing production at all costs instead of generating corporate returns. And so that has left investors reluctant to invest in natural resource company. View that as a much higher cost of capital to actually spend money on production. And the shift to ESG has exacerbated that, right? Think about oil. It is a source of carbon pollution. And so capital has naturally migrated to renewables, for example. But what that leaves us today with is just a lack of investment in recent years. And now that we need that investment, the realization that it takes a much higher commodity price to actually incentivize spending. And case in point, you know, oil prices are trading at their highest levels since 2018, but the stock price of oil producers is still lingering at low levels. They still don't have that signal to actually do more. Now, on the more short-term item of natural gas availability, now you mentioned it, right? It's an input to key industries. It's a source of power in China. So we will see localized constraints. Fertilizer, for example, so that keep in mind for next year's food prices, aluminum and steel as well. And that's going to happen now. But, you know, those markets were just the same facing those structural dynamics already. And now if you look across the commodity complex, we've actually been in deficit for pretty much every single commodity since the middle of last year. 
So we're already seeing very high inflation in the major economies. So how will this commodity outlook affect that narrative that this is all temporary? I mean, do you think this could be a prolonged boost to inflation going forward? So there are many moving parts, right? You know, the shock from natural gas prices feeding through power prices will have an impact on headline inflation. Our economists estimated that the move to $25 per MMBTU would increase European headline inflation by 25 basis points next year. Now, prices are up another 30% since then, so you can see how those upside risks are building. Importantly, although you see it today in gas, keep in mind it has a slow pass-through from wholesale to retail prices. You know, if you look at France, there'll be a cap on power prices till April. Germany has a slow pass-through. There are really only a couple of countries like Spain and Italy where you'll see it now. So already, you know, that shock is here for at least the first half of 2022. I mentioned food prices. The lack of fertilizer will impact planting next spring. So that impacts food prices for all of 2022. And because, of course, this is seasonal, the effect and our forecasts point to receding energy prices next year. But because it's also structural and persistent, those risks of another shortage next winter are quite real. And in fact, you know, we could, if winter is cold, end up next summer at still historically high energy prices. So I think that's the key here is, you know, the shock is significant in scale, does have a lag pass through. So transitory, yes, but still we're talking six months to 12 months impact. And then second, because we're really not resolving any of those structural issues, the risk of that recurring is actually quite high going forward. And what about the implications for economic growth? So, you know, the economic impact will be, first of all, from the reduction in consumer income due to higher electricity bills. Our economists for the move, as I mentioned, to $25 gas prices estimate about two-tenths of a percent of GDP growth for one year. Now, as I mentioned, gas prices have rallied further. And ultimately, the real risk is the one we're now seeing in China, where because of energy shortages, our economists had to reduce their year-on-year growth rate forecast by a percent for the end of 21 and the beginning of 2022. That's the real risk to economic growth, not so much prices themselves, but really the point where you are just unable to generate electricity, and you are forcing much lower economic growth. Not there yet again, I emphasize in Europe, but it's a risk that cannot be dismissed going forward. So bigger picture, to some extent, the broader push to decarbonize. We're hearing so much focus on the shift towards renewable energy sources. That's all limited, as I've heard you say, you know, the production of fossil fuels, you know, such as coal. So how will this current energy crunch really affect that energy transition? There are two components. The first one, and coal is the example, shows that abandoning too quickly the production of what we consume today, whether it be coal, gas, oil, is quite dangerous as we still consume those commodities, right? So the energy transition has to be much more about solving the demand side than impacting already today the supply side. I'll take coal as an example. Everybody knew coal demand would decline. That led to a precipitous decline in upstream mining capex. And today, coal prices are trading at record highs. Now, the second key point here is that internalizing our carbon emission is costly, right? We have operated for centuries without that in mind. 
And today, as we have to reflect the carbon content and emissions of what we do, it is proving to be quite expensive. And renewables help, but it takes time to scale them. They're intermittent. And that further illustrates that we will need in this energy transition still a lot of oil, a lot of gas, and that those will have to come at a higher price given their inherent emissions. So we are seeing a greater focus of society into fixing those issues. But I think what this energy winter crisis is showing is the cost of making that transition. And are there implications of that for investors? Are there going to be winners versus losers? You mentioned the low returns that traditional oil producers are facing. It is an important question. So from an oil market and gas producer perspective, it means probably coming back into the forefront of what investors have to consider in their portfolio as the output of those industries is still essential to global economic growth. It means likely further investment needed on the LNG side. That's a long cycle of investment. And clearly now we need more capacity. It also means as the incumbent source of power, decarbonizing oil and gas will be important. Now that could come from carbon capture and ultimately needs a solution. And then finally, as illustrated in Europe recently, relying on renewables does create challenges such as when there's no wind, no sun, or not enough hydro and rain. And so storage is also the key to enabling the energy transition to much higher usage of renewables. So if you look out ahead, it seems like you are expecting higher energy prices, and that ultimately will translate into higher gas and utility bills this winter. So the question is, how high? So give us a sense of your forecast and how you think that will translate to consumers. Sure. The risk here really is the inherent high volatility that we expect going forward, right? And then every country has on the power side various pass-through mechanism. But, you know, we're talking 10, 20% potential impact next year for consumer power prices. To the extent that that is passed on to consumers is less clear given potential intervention by governments in setting power prices. Is that something we're seeing right now? It has started, right? So you've seen it in Spain, you've seen it in France, and that further exacerbates the concerns of policymakers on this additional inflation shock. There is one market that we didn't discuss as much is the oil market, right? It's not exposed yet significantly to this energy crisis. There is some, but not too much substitution. But we actually believe that oil prices are set to significantly appreciate going forward. Our forecast for the end of this year is $90. And as a key input to many other industries, you know, that should contribute also further to the rise in headline inflation. And again, as the gas market illustrated, the drivers of that higher oil price forecast, which is underinvestment and strong demand, we're only going to compound going forward. So I think that's the one market to keep in mind. Sure, maybe a mild winter this year, maybe everything will be resolved quickly. Oil, however, is setting up to very much start a structural bull market, one that I think investors and policymakers need to be aware of. Well, let's hope for a mild winter this year, Damien. Yes, indeed. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Allison. That concludes this episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this show, we hope you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and comment. This podcast was recorded on Friday, October 1st, 2021.
All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.